Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is the old boiler. I can't get it out. So it's just stuck there. Just me, the boiler, and a portrait of the Queen. Well, hello. It's the Wellbeing Lab. My name's Will, and we're talking to Dr. Chetna Kang today about BPD, borderline personality disorder. And quite a few of you have messaged in to ask us to talk about it. She's very good, Dr. Chetna Kang. She is my psychiatrist. Full disclosure, if you heard the episode on narcissism, then you would know she's my psychiatrist. If you didn't hear it, then do listen, because um, it's fascinating, actually. I have been diagnosed with BPD, and I still found it very, very interesting to talk to Dr. Chapman. So I know she was very popular last time, so I hope she's as popular this time. Have a listen. So hello, I'm Dr. Chetna Kang. I'm a consultant psychiatrist and I'm an integrative psychiatrist. So I bring together the physical, psychological and spiritual aspects of mental health care. Could you give a sort of definition of what borderline personality disorder is? Sure. Um, I think before getting into the actual borderline aspect, I think, first of all, if we look at personality disorders, first thing to bear in mind is it's not a disease or an illness. Okay, the reason it's called a disorder is it, it falls under the category of developmental disorders. What does that mean? It means that as a person's growing up, there's a combination of their own nature in reaction to their particular type of nurture or environment. Okay, and nurture isn't just home, it could be school, it could be other areas where you're interacting. And this is generally prior to the age of 18. Uh, those factors come together and we can get into those a little bit more which aspects of nurture and which aspects of nature can lead to the personality disorders and particularly borderline personality disorder Uh, but that's that's generally what a personality disorder is is that you know personality is how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive the world and then that feeds into how we behave and how we respond to the world around us and so that's somewhere along the line with a personality disorder the person's developed traits which are unhelpful to them. They're not giving them a good quality of life in terms of relationships, functioning, achieving their goals, etc. And it often leads to other uh, symptoms. I mean, all of the personality disorders are often related to anxiety, depression, etc. You know, there's a higher rate of those things, addictions, for example. With borderline personality in particular, what we're talking about is emotional dysregulation. You know, there's different ways uh, that the American system and the UK system talks about personality disorders. And, uh, you know, we've got borderline personality disorder, which is the very American term. The British term or the ICD-10 term is emotionally unstable personality disorder because it speaks to this aspect of BPD that it's um, a key aspect that's affected. And there's nine key aspects, but the overarching one is that the emotions tend to be very intense, unpredictable and can be up and down. Well, they are up and down, not like in bipolar. Okay, you don't go from mania to depression, but 
general day-to-day feelings are very intense can come out of the blue almost like and so it's almost like it can feel sometimes untriggered and sometimes it can almost feel like oh I'm numb when I should be feeling something right so this is emotional there's a strong emotional dysregulation the American aspect of borderline is because with emotionally unstable personality disorder one of the key things is that sense of self is disrupted right who am I right and there's many things that lead to this but that who am I and that who am I question is 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 always there and the person can often find themselves conforming to whoever they're with to find their sense of identity which is really unsettling and the borderline bit comes in because it can leave you on the border of having symptoms which can either be very depressive okay really affect your mood or really affect your perception to a point where you may even become very paranoid so it doesn't quite give you a psychosis it doesn't give you a full-blown depression but you almost feel like my gosh I almost sometimes feel like I've got everything but nothing to such a strong degree that it could fit in another diagnostic category so I know that's quite a long answer but this is what borderline personality disorder is if I said it in one sentence It's a developmental disorder where certain traits have developed in your personality which lead to a lot of emotional dysregulation and a sense of uncertainty around who you are which end up leading to unstable relationships. And when did borderline personality disorder first start sort of being noticed, I guess, or even prescribed? There's two ways of looking at this. One is how long has it existed for? I think it's always existed. I think, you know, conditions which can be troubling to our human experience have always existed. How long has it been recognized for? It's been recognized for as long as psychiatry has been around, but spoken about in terms of personality disorder and really recognized by clinicians and the general public where there's less stigma, there's more understanding. I would say more so in the last 30 years and even more so in the last 10 years. You know, especially in the last 10 years with, you know, with social media, with digital media, people are speaking about it more. They're much more open about it. There are nine key features, right? And to get a diagnosis, you only need to meet five of them. They're going to vary in severity. So if you're sitting at home and you listen to these nine and go, oh, I'm like that sometimes. Oh, I'm like that sometimes. Being like that sometimes is not a problem. It's if you're like that a lot of the time, and it's really having an impact on your life, that's where you assess severity. So the first one uh, is actually, um, there's a strong drive within that there's a fear of people abandoning you. So this can manifest in two ways. One is one becomes avoidant of relationships. You might find yourself, okay, I'm gonna avoid, that's where I feel peaceful because when I get involved, I get so involved, I'm so scared of the person losing, you know, leaving me that um, it almost determines every interaction I have with them. Or people go the other way, where the fear of abandonment can make them almost push the people who are in, they're in relationships with away before they get a chance to leave them. Or there's the other aspect where one might feel they're needy in relationships. They take any sign of abandonment, it triggers a fear. And, and they you know, beg or plead. So it can make it difficult. It can be really, um, uh, it's not very self-affirming to live a life with this fear of abandonment. Uh, we talked earlier about intense emotions that last from a few days to a few hours. So emotional dysregulation in BPD, very different to bipolar. In bipolar, it can last weeks and months. In BPD, hours to a few days. So if your mood is changing, you know, within a few hours, I, I mean, I've, I've had patients tell me they can feel perfectly great on top of the world, 
for a few hours and then all of a sudden they will be triggered. And it's often triggered by some sort of uh, interaction, a triggering interaction with another person. Coming back to also not having a strong sense of who you are and it can change significantly depending on who you're with. And uh, then the fourth uh, aspect is all of these have an impact on in terms of keeping stable relationships. Right? Imagine being in relationships where you're always scared that the other person's going to leave you. It's that undercurrent, the background score to the relationship. Uh, your emotions are fluctuating or intense or both. You're not quite sure of who you are in the relationship or otherwise. That can have a significant impact. And so relationships can be quite unstable either within the long-term relationship or you may have lots of short-term relationships. Fifth aspect is feeling empty a lot of the time. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it? That there's this one side, which is I feel strong emotions most of the time. I pick up on things that other people don't even notice. I can feel it in the atmosphere. And on the other hand, there are times where I just feel vacant inside, like I'm almost disconnected from everything, right? Is there a bit of being an empath within that then? Absolutely. Yeah. And when we go on to treatments and also understanding where this comes from, this is a powerful thing about personality disorders. I, you know, I really practice and live by this, that all mental health crises are there to show us that the way you were living before isn't working for you anymore. Mm. So reevaluate, take stock. And with some tweaks and therapy, those very things that work against us can actually work for us. Right. Mm. So then th that's an example that being very in tune with emotions can also work for you. In terms of being an empath, you can be very emotionally intelligent, but when they're more regulated. Um, so there's this emptiness a lot of the time. The other aspect, so this is uh, number six, is impulsive behavior. So just like the emotions are almost uh, erratic and unpredictable, this can then lead to impulsive behavior. Why? If you're feeling overwhelmed, think about the last time you felt overwhelmed. Anybody, even if you don't have a personality disorder, when we feel overwhelmed, Whichever feeling it is, maybe you're feeling overwhelmingly anxious or low or overwhelmingly angry. What do you want to do? The first thing we want to do is get rid of it, right? So this can lead to impulsive behaviors. For example, people may take comfort in binge eating. Okay, They may take comfort in drugs or drive dangerously when they're feeling something intense, right? So there's that impulsive action. Maybe shopping. Exactly. Shopping, spending excessive amounts of money. Right. And then coming to the last, I mean, as you can see, they're progressively kind of uh, sounding a little bit more, for want of a better word, starting to sound a bit more pathological now. Right. People start to can relate to the first few to some degree, but the latter ones they relate to less. So, so the next one, there's also patterns, could be patterns of often self-harming and suicidal feelings. Now, the two may not be related you might be thinking, well, hang on, of course, if somebody is feeling suicidal, they're going to self-harm. No, that's not necessarily the case. Often with borderline personality disorder, self-harming behaviors can be the comfort for the person. You know, they can be what makes them feel connected again. You know, many of my patients will tell me that I, I don't self-harm because I want to end my life. You know, I self-harm because I just want to feel something else other than the distress, the emotional distress I'm feeling, or they self-harm because I was feeling so empty, I just wanted to feel something, you know, right? So the, the self-harm isn't always related to suicidal feelings. And suicidal feelings, interestingly, you know, this is a conversation that I find very useful with patients. People always think of suicide as, oh, you want to die, right? But suicide, for many, is an escape. 
It's where the mind goes when it feels like there's no other way out. Oh, certainly for me, because I've done so much work, even though it's scary when I feel it, it's more of a, for me, a symptom of my distress because my brain is wanting to go, I want to get out of here. Mm -hmm. I think I've had two occasions when I thought, oh gosh, am I making plans? And then immediately I was like, nope, I need to get on top of this. Yeah. You know, I really relate to that. And I know we've spoke about this in our sessions. You know, it's, it's, I really see it as a symptom. And I, if I've got to a stage where I'm having suicidal feelings, ideations, it's just a symptom of my distress. You know, I mean, it's not amazing to feel that, but no. I, I know I'm never going to carry it out. I think it's so wonderful that you've shared that because, and it's so powerful for people listening. Because if you're if somebody's in a relationship with someone who's got borderline personality disorder or a child or relative has it, one of the things they find most unsettling is when their loved one is self-harming or is expressing suicidal feelings because they feel overwhelmed, like, oh my God, danger, danger, you know? But with borderline personality disorder, it's important to understand that ending life is not about, I want to die. It's often about, I want to escape from what I'm feeling right now. And it can be really helpful if family members can understand that and almost hold that feeling in such a way that, okay, there are other ways to escape and get out of such difficult feelings. Uh, we often tell patients to make a self-soothing box. A self-soothing box is based on your five senses. Where the emotions are high, often engaging one of your senses in something that's intense, rather than cutting yourself or binging or drinking, can be really quite soothing. So for example, in your self-soothing box for listening, you might have some tracks that when you blast them, it completely takes you out into another world, you know? Or there may be some fabrics, things that you can touch, that when you touch them, it's like, okay, that really calms me. There may be certain flavors like, I know biting on chilies can completely distract you from a difficult emotion. Even with touch, ice cubes, holding ice cubes can be amazing. Sight, pictures, that can be soothing. And smell. I mean, I've and got smells, my yes. orange blossom here. And for me, smell works so well. Yeah. You know, it's a little incense thing and it really helps me. Fragrance can be so, I mean, there's a whole science behind it, right? Aromatherapy. All of our senses are also connected to our emotions. Some fragrances are nostalgic, right? And some fragrances are really comforting, like bread, fresh baked bread, right? But there's certain flowers, like lavender, is very relaxing, very calming. Uh, chamomile is very calming. There's others that kind of make you feel perky, like the fragrance of basil. I used to use basil to help me revise when I was younger. It worked. <laughs> it did work. You know, it does, it activates a different part of the brain. So so this, this is simple things like this. This can help families. That's why... Getting families on board with understanding this is just as important as you as an individual understanding it. It's really hard as someone that has it to share. I was thinking the other day, there's a friend of mine, I know that he'd lost a friend out the blue to suicide. You know, I lost my brother to suicide. And I didn't share with him. I noticed that I didn't share with him that I had had, had suicidal ideation because I really didn't want to mm. trigger him into that. Mm -hmm. I didn't want him to be terrified that he was going to lose another friend and actually maybe at that time it was probably the right decision but you know it can be very difficult because people do go into panic and i also think i'm sure you've heard this lot, it's a lot of shame that can come with yeah. that yeah. yeah yeah and and that shame can also be that guilt and shit am i letting my family down mm. you know because will they receive it as i don't think they're good enough to feel like 
they're worth living for. Do you see what I mean? Right. Uh, and that, that's that can certainly be there. So, um, so is there is there one or two more? Yeah, there are a couple more. So intense feelings of anger that are difficult to control. And I kind of really just fit that in with the intense emotions. But anger is a particularly strong one that's there. Uh, and then when very stressed, you may also experience paranoia or dissociation. And it's interesting, paranoia and dissociation, uh, they're two very different things. Paranoia is uh, when our perceptions lead us to, again, create an underscore of well, I'm under threat, right? I'm under threat. I, I've become the center of everybody's world, but not in a pleasant way, but they're looking at me. And, and you know, it could be, it could range from feeling extremely self-conscious too actually paranoid that I'm not going to leave the house today because I feel like people are watching me. And this can tip over into a true psychosis, but this is why it's important to treat the actual personality disorder so it doesn't, you know, develop or evolve into other uh, mental health problems. Uh, and the dissociation, what's dissociation? I've noticed lately the word dissociation is, is thrown around quite a lot. Dissociation is essentially, it's a, a sense of either feeling disconnected from yourself, so that's depersonalization. I don't feel real. I know what's around me, but I don't feel real. Or derealization. So I'm here, but nothing around me feels real. And this almost sits hand in hand with either the emotions have gotten so intense, and often this happens with extreme high levels of anxiety. You know, people often think high anxiety is a panic attack. Yes, it is, but higher than a panic attack in terms of intense anxiety is dissociation, right? Yeah. Or it's a, a case of I'm feeling so empty, but it's as if I don't exist. Yeah. So yeah, these are the these are the nine, and and I would say you know if if you are feeling like they make sense of what you're experiencing, go see someone because one thing actually this is one of the few diagnoses where I do when somebody comes to see me and it's very clear to me in the first ten minutes of our assessment I think this person's got borderline personality disorder and often they're coming saying I think I've got bipolar or I think I've got ADHD or I think I've got cyclothymia or something like that or, or my family tell me I'm crazy. We'll talk and then I'll say, oh, okay, just have a look at this screenshot. And I give them a screenshot of these uh, nine statements. They don't know what diagnosis it is. And she says, just have a look. Tell me what you identify with. And pretty much every time where it is likely that they have it, they'll go, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm reading something that completely makes sense of what I'm experiencing. I finally feel like I'm understood. Yeah, which must be so wonderful, isn't it? When you sort of, that's the great thing about a diagnosis is, Someone might think, oh, well, I'm just crazy or I'm wrong, defunct, you know, abnormal. And then someone can look at the symptoms, the nine things and go, oh, OK, well, one, I guess they, you don't feel so alone. Mm. Well, I'm not the only person, you know, these people have actually noticed this and this can happen. And it makes me think of when we started the conversation, we were talking about maybe the potential roots and we were talking about nurture and nature, I guess the genesis of where borderline might yeah. come from. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Where do personality disorders come from? So borderline personality disorder like all personality disorders, is a combination of the nature of the individual, what they bring into this world, and their environment. So if we first focus on the nature aspect, let's first focus on the nature aspect. What traits do we know, you know, universally, we tend to find generally patients with BPD have? So I think you can probably figure out from some of the symptoms that one of the traits is, is emotional sensitivity okay so this emotional sensitivity is not just more sensitive to their own emotions but also more sensitive to others and uh, I, I see you nodding you know because you can relate to that not only do you feel everything for yourself you feel everything for everyone else so being around other people can be exhausting yeah it's something I really have to watch dependent on on where I'm at dependent on the day to watch it right and also there are children in this world who you will notice you might be raising a child like this i'm not saying they have a personality disorder you can't diagnose it because it's about development but there are children who you notice they notice everything in the room they know how the parents feeling you know so you've got a, a very sensitive child who feels not just what they're feeling and other people are feeling but they feel it very intensely okay it's like the volume is up right they can't ignore it and the emotions last for a long time so they're intense they last for a long time. They're sensitive to feelings. One of the key things is also they can be unpredictable. Uh, so this has a biological basis to some degree. We'll often find that people with borderline personality disorder will have relatives, either siblings, parents, uncles, aunties, cousins, with also uh, a history of mental health problems. Then impulsivity also has, to some degree, a biological basis. Because if you look at this whole front of part of our brain is to do with regulation, okay? And, and in young people, that front part of the brain is the last to really develop and become solid. That's why children, teenagers, young adults, you see just even when they don't have a personality disorder, their emotions are quite intense. They can be impulsive far more than, I mean, if we look back at our lives, I think back to my teens, I think, oh, wow, I did some things that were pretty impulsive, you know? I, I because my brain just didn't register that it was risky, right? But with borderline personality disorder, this child's coming into this world where they find it hard to restrain their impulsive behavior. So they get an urge to do something and they just simply can't not do it, okay? And so they may do things that get them into trouble. Their behavior may come out of nowhere like their, their emotions. And so then they find it hard to be effective, and they've struggled to control the behavior associated with the mood. So this might be the, the you know, if you've got a very sensitive child, uh, if they feel sad, they will respond to that sadness. If they feel angry, they will respond to that anger. Okay. But this is where the nurture aspect is so, so important. Because that could very easily be parented, nurtured, schooled in such a way that 
strong emotions and feeling for others could become like a superpower, right? But if it's not understood, equally, if you have a child who feels a lot and can't but help respond to their feelings, as a parent, unless you also either understand it, relate to it, or have a really good handle on your own emotions, you know, because as a parent, often you are, you're containing you know, even teachers have to contain. Adults need to contain children's emotions, right? Yeah, if only more adults did self-work, they'd make better parents, I think, and teachers. And and I mean teachers in a not just in a profession. Sure. You know? All types, right? Which will lead to more healthy adults. But when you don't have that, what ends up happening? So environments that then cause that type of nature to possibly, or not possibly, possibly is too light a word, these types of environments that I'm going to talk about now are more likely to cause that type of nature to develop into a borderline personality disorder. So one is invalidation. All right. No, you know, you're feeling like that for no reason. It's not important. You feel too much uh, or it's weird or bad or, you know, it's wrong for you to, why are you getting angry over such a small thing? What's wrong with you? What's your problem? Nobody else in the family is like this, right? Or you get ignored. In some families, the reaction is, oh, he's having one of, one of his moments, just ignore them, right? Because uh, we, we also hear that in popular parenting books as well, yeah. ignore bad behavior and commend good behavior. And the one before, you know, people say, well, don't feel sad, don't be angry. So that huge invalidation and shaming. Yeah. But even if with good parenting, if you look at, oh, ignore bad behavior and praise good behavior, there's a ceiling to that. If your child is repeatedly engaging in bad behavior, ignoring it is not going to help. Don't worry, he's just stealing a car. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, so it, being ignored, okay? And... So the other aspect of a social environment that can be difficult if you are struggling with your own emotions is if it reinforces out of control emotions and actions. So your parents may also display uncontrolled emotions and uncontrolled behavior. So then the child just thinks, oh, but it's normal to do this. It's normal to hurt myself, take intoxicants, to scream and shout, to throw things around. This is how we deal with uncontrolled emotions we become uncontrolled, right? So yeah. it's either the environment is invalidating or the environment is too validating. Yeah. Okay, because so much of our, so many of the things we do, I think we can all recognize this in ourselves. There are things we do that literally feels like, oh my God, I'm becoming like my mom. Oh my God, I'm becoming like my dad, right? It's literally modeled. And it is amazing. I was thinking about this the other day. We can find, or I could find still, I mean, I don't think that often now, but things and I might have a, either a belief about something or a reaction to something. And I think, oh, hang on, I'm just doing what I learned from my parents, mm. you know, and that's not me throwing my parents under the bus. Sure. I love my parents very much, but it's, it just shows the power. You know, I'm 44, I've done a lot of work on myself and still I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I sort of took that as that's the truth. That's what it is. It shows the power of what we take on mm -hmm. growing mm -hmm. up. But even more powerful about this whole nature-nurture model and this whole idea of a disorder and a developmental disorder is something that's disordered can be reordered again, okay? So just because it developed into an unhealthy pattern 
doesn't mean it can't be redeveloped into a healthy pattern. There can be a lot of stigma around personality disorders and borderline personality disorder. I mean, there is around mental health anyway, but particularly with personality disorders, because people feel even more of a sense of, oh my God, there's something off with my personality. And we identify with our personality so much as our sense of self that it can almost feel like, oh, that's a bit heart sink. I've got a personality disorder, so I'm stuck with this for the rest of my life. That is not true. So how do we go about reordering it? Mm. So if we look at anything in health related, there's the symptom side and there's the treatment side. Okay, I'll give you the example of infections, for example. If somebody has an infection, let's say you get a skin infection, the cause is a bacteria, right? And the symptom is pain, swelling, redness. Now, if I just give someone the treatment that kills off the bacteria and don't control the symptoms, they often don't stick to the treatment. Why? Because people are more interested in their symptoms because you're living with your symptoms every day. They're not relating to the bacteria. They're not going, hey, good morning, bacteria. Are you leaving my body yet? You know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm in pain and this is red. So they'll either give up because they're in so much pain they forget to take their antibiotic or they're like, oh, it's not working. Forget about it because I haven't seen an instantaneous result because they're interested in the pain and the, the swelling. So you've got to treat the underlying causes as well as the symptoms. So if you look at borderline personality disorder, we've talked about the underlying causes and underlying causes in terms of an invalidating environment or a validating environment or dismissiveness or an environment which becomes almost abusive and punitive because you're behaving really badly. So in terms of treatment, what you're looking at is the, psych- the psychotherapeutic side and particularly mentalization behavior therapy and dialectic behavior therapy. So MBT and DBT are seen to be the gold standards for the treatment of borderline personality disorder and I say treatment because it focuses on the things that are disordered and if we take something like DBT it's got four modules four aspects or four key pillars it focuses on first of all mindfulness so learning to be present rather than always running away from whatever it is you're feeling learning that feelings are not that dangerous right because to date feelings have been treated as if they're dangerous or I'm dangerous when I feel a particular way. So Mm. mindfulness focuses a lot on that, just bringing yourself back in the body. It helps with regulating emotions. It helps with dissociation. It helps with being less scared of your feelings. Then there's uh, a module on emotional distress, okay, emotional regulation. So learning how to regulate your emotions, all the things that feed into emotional regulation from uh, what you eat to how you sleep, to how you manage your day. All those things actually take care of the biological side of emotional dysregulation. We can all relate to that. If you haven't had a good night's sleep, you feel more emotionally vulnerable. If you don't eat regularly, your emotions go up and down because part of our emotional makeup is based on what our blood sugars do. Right? Just a simple thing like that. So if you add that on top of somebody whose nature is to be sensitive, it's going to be even less helpful, right? So we've got the emotional regulation, emotional distress side. We've got mindfulness. Then there's distress tolerance. So what can be often impaired in borderline personality disorder is there's a low tolerance for distressing feelings. I don't want this. Get rid of it, right? But our emotions are always trying to tell us something. And if we sit with them, often something really important comes, a self-awareness, you know? And, and, and I'm sure you've found this in therapy when you've sat with something, stuff's emerged, an understanding of yourself, you know? Yeah, I mean, normally it's the fear of the feelings and if they're more past feelings, they tend to be stronger. That's my rule of thumb. If I can sort of stay in the room long enough to be like, mm, these are very strong feelings. 
I tend to find present day feelings don't often seem to be as strong or they come with a different quality to them. Uh, they don't have a stuck quality to them. Yeah. If it's got a stuck quality, I, you know, I've definitely learned to try and sit with them more. I either do it for, you know, I love drawing, so I just doodle away and sometimes something will just come up. I think, oh, that's, that's what it's telling me. But it's the sitting with it, you know, it's that first part of the of the module, isn't it? Yes. Or the second part. You know, well, I mean, they're, they're not, you don't have to do them in order. You no, do them no, when okay, you do yeah. them. But yeah, they're different aspects. And uh, the fourth area is interpersonal effectiveness. So this is really important because what patients with borderline personality disorder are often left with is this feeling that I never seem to be able to communicate what I really want. Or the other person always misunderstands what I'm saying. The way I interact with people just leads to something worse, right? And I go in with all good faith and all good endeavor and it just goes pear shaped So interpersonal effectiveness is learning once you are in that space of being able to regulate your emotions, tolerate your distress and be present. How do you then communicate in such a way that you are effective in your personal relationships? So that is, what is it again? Dialectic, Dialectic behavior therapy, that's DBT. And it is generally the, the therapy that's most available. You get MBT, there are definitely MBT uh, therapists out there. Mentalization behavioral therapy actually does a similar thing. It focuses on the constructs one has about themselves and the world. Again, focusing on these four areas, but not necessarily split up into similar type modules. Um, so this is, this is where treating the underlying stuff. Now, you're probably thinking, listening, going, God, it must be really hard to sit in therapy and do that. I already have enough of my plate. My emotions already feel too intense. How am I going to do that? So this is where symptom control is important. Because when you go through that therapy, often past trauma comes up. Difficult experiences, either invalidating experiences, abusive ex experiences. And that vroom, increases the volume on your emotions again. And like, oh my God, this is even harder than it was before. I don't want to do therapy anymore. So this is where symptom control is important. So medication's role comes in here. Whereas medication doesn't cure borderline personality disorder, it's like the plaster cast on a broken leg. It holds things in place so things can heal. Your bone can heal in a straight way, so then your therapy can take most, most effect. So the medications we tend to use tend to be ones that will affect your mood. So sometimes people need antidepressants if they're feeling very down. Or what I find more effective, generally in my practice, I've found antidepressants don't tend to help much unless the person's actually experiencing a depressive episode as well as borderline personality disorder. What I tend to find helps more is a very small dose of a mood stabilizer. And that helps to just deal with the uh, impulse control and the unregulated emotions. Not at doses which we tend to use for bipolar affective disorder, much smaller doses. But I mean, this is my personal clinical practice and I've seen it work very well. As some of my patients have told me, when they, once they've started taking the mood stabilizer, they feel a little bit like, oh, I kind of feel like I can feel everything, but it's much more manageable. Because right? their fear is, oh my God, if you give me something, am I going to become numb? Nobody wants to be numb. No, it doesn't make you numb. It kind of just, let's just turn the volume down enough that you're able to reflect on the past, speak to your therapist, churn the difficult stuff and affect change. Because one of the most frustrating things is you start therapy and your symptoms get the better of you and you can't affect change from the therapy. And, you know, this, we're not just talking about six or seven sessions here of a chat. Psychotherapy where you are, want it to start affecting change in the way you operate, the way you see yourself, your sense of identity, the way you react to situations. You're looking at a good year 
regular attendance. And I guess that makes me think, you know, how accessible is that? So there'll be people listening who, I mean, we do get people messaging in saying, you know, I've been on the waiting list for this and that and that and that. I feel very fortunate because yep. I managed to pay for my therapy. And But, you know, I know that you've worked in the NHS as well. If people are listening and they're thinking, oh, well, how am I going to do that? What, what could we recommend? So two things. One is definitely get a referral because with the waiting lists on the NHS at the moment, unless you're very, very severe, you're not going to get seen soon. But at least you know it's in the pipeline, your DBT therapy is in the pipeline. And ideally see if your trust offers the full package where you do group therapy and the individual therapy, right? Because they work really well. With the group therapy, you learn the skills. In the individual therapy, you explore the application of the skills to you as an individual. So definitely get on a waiting list. If you can afford it or have medical insurance, of course, go private. Because if you're looking at minimum one year's therapy, then you may need support with that privately. With symptom support, sometimes the GP can help with that. With personality disorder, because the behavior sometimes can both reinforce for the patient that, oh my gosh, I'm difficult to understand, and sometimes can leave clinicians with this, especially if they don't deal with borderline personality disorder, can leave them with a heart sink feeling like, I feel like I'm not affecting change for my patient. It can get lost and slip through the net. Uh, until somebody becomes a repeat revolving door attender at any etc so you don't need to let it get to that point the uh, other thing is things you can do for yourself in the meantime so marshalina and she's like the authority on dbt she designed dbt she had borderline personality disorder herself you know this whole program is based on her insight she's a psychologist herself all the best therapists are, are, are trained really by her and and i often say to my patients even before they've started their therapy they can buy the dbt skills uh handouts and worksheets right and you get the pdf version and you can get the print version really handy because whilst it doesn't do the therapy for you there are really good exercises in there that help you with the emotional regulation, the to- uh, distress tolerance, the interpersonal effectiveness. And her book on DBT and uh, borderline personality disorder are also excellent reading. Just so you get a bit more self-awareness and understanding. can also be really good reading for your relatives or loved ones if they need help and support in understanding what you're going through. It may actually help them with themselves because often they may recognize traits in themselves. And it can lead to a lot of repair in relationships. And where there's healing going on at home, it can do just as much, if not more, than what's going on in the therapy. Those are things that are really useful. And also, just thinking about basic things like, and I know everybody jumps on the whole sleep well, eat well, move bandwagon, right? And it kind of feels like, okay, yeah, everybody talks about that. But I think just a little bit of understanding as to why it's so important when you have BPD. When you have BPD, you cannot afford to do any of the things that might disrupt your emotional regulation even further, that are basic human needs. So being well-rested is even more important if you have BPD. Eating regularly is even more important if you have BPD. Okay, Moving and exercise is even more important. Um, your spirituality is even more important in one sense because... Developing that sense of self that is separate from our roles and responsibilities in this world, right? It's such a great anchor when everything around you and maybe even within your own mind is changing so much. And also, you know, maybe you're not a talking person. Maybe you don't 
you're not particularly cerebral or psychologically minded, but you are holding a lot of feelings in your body. Things like therapeutic massage are amazing. We do kind of use our bodies as a dumping ground for our psychological brain, right? It just kind of sits there some way in your back or your shoulders or your gut or your muscles. So things like that can be helpful. You don't, we don't have to be hanging on, oh, I can only be better when my therapy starts or once I get up. There are things you can do, you know, and then also looking at your nutrition, your gut health, minerals, nootropics. You can try all of those things to just take the edge off. But please, if you identify with these, please get a proper diagnosis because the wrong diagnosis often means people end up heavily medicated or medicated with the wrong things and in the wrong type of therapy. Yeah, I relate to that, <laughs> as you know. I mean, it's just brilliant because you just talk about things so succinctly, so informatively, it's very relatable as well. And I think that tripod of things I know will make this a really great episode. So thank you so much. No, you're really welcome. I really enjoyed that. There she is. Isn't she wise? And she's a Hindu priest as well. I mean, she probably runs the 100 metres very quickly as well. Anyway, let us know if that resonated uh, in any way. I just think she's so great, Dr. Chetnut, putting things very succinctly and imparting a lot of information and wisdom. But let us know if you have experience with BPD or maybe you've heard it and thought, hmm, that could be me. Well, you've been in touch as ever. I love saying that. I love that intro. Well, you've been in touch. You've been in touch. Touch me, as Kathy Dennis once said. Was it, was it Kathy Dennis? God, I'm just speaking to try and avoid going to the gym. This is a message. Shame has shaped my life from a very young age in many ways without me even realising I'm currently speaking to a therapist about it and it seems a lot of it stems from my dad's conditions of worth. Thank you very much and well done. It's not an easy thing to handle. Very murky subject and it really is a murky feeling as well actually. Good luck. Hey Will, could you do an episode on autism spectrum disorder from a young family full of neurodivergent fabulous fun kids and adults? Love a suggestion. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll look into it. Hey Will, siblings of people living with mental ill health would be a good topic. We run peer support groups in Brighton for exactly this after our own brothers became ill. And there are many common themes and impacts that can affect the well sibling that can continue through their lives. Thanks for all that you're doing. Well, we could look into that as well. I mean, as ever, a smorgasbord. Thank you. And if you want to get in touch, email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com or Twitter at the Wellbeing Lab, Instagram and Facebook at the Wellbeing Lab Podcast. Uh, next week, it's forest bathing. Oh my God, it was so much fun. It's such a nice chat um, and I did leave feeling rather wonderful and I have kept it up and been bathing in my garden more, letting the chemicals given off by the plants heal my body. Who knew that was even a thing, but it is. Until then, please take care. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the Acast Creator Network? It's true. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.